Greetings. Welcome to the Sacred Wandering Podcast. I'm Kevin, your host, and I'll be talking with people about their journeys with faith, religion, spirituality, and values. Wandering down a crooked road I saw the spirit like a dove She sang a song I've not yet heard She called me out to see the world There's a lot of good news in the Episcopal Church, and I think it's time more of us in the Church share some of the good news in our own lives. Good, but not always easy. Sometimes even quite difficult. All right now. Let's get on with the show. Today, we have a great episode with the Reverend Becky Zartman, head of Commonplace, the Episcopal Lutheran Campus Ministry at Georgetown University. How are you today? I am okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad to actually finally be here instead of sitting on 395 and everything else, but that's Washington, right? Yes, yes it is. (laughs) All right, well, thank you so much for, for agreeing to do this. So let's get started. Awesome, let's go. All right, so Becky, all right, let's start at the beginning. Tell me a little bit about beginning of you. Okay, beginning of (laughs) me, not like beginning of time. How, you know, where you grew up, (laughs) stuff like that. Sure, so I was born in central Pennsylvania um, in a little town actually not even in the little town, outside of the little town, in the woods. Um, (laughs) So I grew up in, um, actually I really grew up in my church, actually, which was an Episcopal church Mm -hmm. called St. Matthew's Sunbury. And uh, they are really, really special people. How so? Um, They actually love each other. I know, and like like truly love each other, and are just absolutely uh, wonderful humans. Um, part of it is, is a family-sized church. Which um, I'm the sixth. Can, can you oh, say what? Sure, sure, what that sure. Is. So that's like a church that's organized around a family-style structure. Or in this church, there are about five main families who have all been there for generations and they're all still there generations later. Um, so my generation's mothers all grew up together and their mothers all grew up together. And so what you have is a, a family pattern. So the clergy are part of the life there, but they don't actually make the major decisions. <laughs> the decisions are you know, kind of corporately decided upon by Um, the matriarchs and patriarchs and like in conjunction with the clergy but really like it's a people-led parish. So you said that people there loved each other what what's one thing that you know what did that look like? Um, When I was a kid I remember one of my mom's friends was going through a really nasty divorce and um, it was really hard It was hard to watch, it was hard to be a part of, but uh, groceries would just show up on her doorstep. 
like bags of groceries every week and no one she never asked for them but she never had to that's the kind of place that this parish was so um you know you just helped each other out but it wasn't even a no one really thought about it you just did it and so you grew up in the episcopal church and of course you're still in the episcopal <laughs> church so tell me a little bit about that Sure. So um, I feel very fortunate to actually have been raised in the Episcopal Church because uh, as I grew up and became an adult and got older, there was space for me there. Um, I'm a college chaplain and I talk to a lot of people who have some serious church baggage. Um, I have church baggage too, but it's a totally different kind. A lot of us do. But it's not because I was ever told, um, you know, that like we don't love gay people or we don't, you, you know, it was just like there was always space for your brain and space for being present in all of myself, mm. which was really important. And then um, also theological space as I would just try to figure out like, what do I believe and who am I? And mm. what does it all mean? And the Episcopal Church is like, yes, let's ask those questions together <laughs> <laughs> instead of here are the answers. And if you don't believe them, you can leave. So how did you get to be you know, ordained as a priest and now chaplain at Georgetown? Georgetown, yes. I am the Episcopal chaplain at Georgetown University, and it has been a long and winding road. <laughs> um, if I would have had my druthers, I would have gone directly from college to seminary. But you didn't. I did not, in fact, do that. <laughs> um, and it's really, I, I talk with my students a lot about how God takes crap and makes compost. <laughs> and you need compost to grow. And so let's just say I had a, a composting experience uh, in between all of that. The priest that I grew up with, um, Jeremy Bond, God bless him. He was just wonderful for an extremely nosy little girl. <laughs> um, I would follow him around and ask him questions. I would, um, he just let me be me and do all of those, like just do the, the church stuff that I just loved. So he was like, why don't you teach Sunday school? And I'm like, okay. I don't know what 15 year olds like, yeah, let's teach Sunday school. But you know, I was cool like that. And, um, but Father Bond laughed because he retired. He turned 72 and he retired and that's something that he had been there for 27 years. Wow. Yeah, like he married my parents, he baptized me and the year I graduated from high school, he retired. Mm. So, <laughs> um, our church began looking for a new priest. And it's a big deal after 27 it years. It is a big deal after 27 years and um, they were at a distinct disadvantage because we were actually a yoked parish, which mm -hmm. meant that the, we shared the cost of the priest with mm -hmm. another nearby parish, mm -hmm. um, which is a little less attractive. And the Diocese of Central Pennsylvania pays the least, like the second least out of the entire United States. Um, it's just, we don't pay our priests well. Mm -hmm. And we don't, um, 
it's not glamorous. They're like, you have to like rural ministry. Mm. And I think just because of the nature of the Episcopal Church, not many people are signing up for, to be rural, like, to be rural missioners. Mm -hmm. That's not what they're there for, usually. Um, and it could be hard to do that when you've got a lot of debt. <laughs> and it can be really difficult to do that if you've got a lot of debt. You can't, you know, pay for three years of graduate school mm -hmm. and then go get paid peanuts in central Pennsylvania. Yeah. I mean, the cost of living is low, but the, um, you, you just, it's really difficult mm -hmm. to do that. So uh, when we ordain priests, we often lose priests. Mm -hmm. um, but we've kept you so far. Oh, yeah, no, so like the, I was ordained out of the Diocese of Central Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. um, but I now live here, right? right? And, and I know it's, listeners of this podcast, I know it seems like everyone has been connected with me at St. Thomas's, but not everyone will, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and Becky, you were the seminarian. I was a seminarian. Mm -hmm. And, let's see, and then you were a deacon there and a priest for a while yeah 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 so um yeah so let me just wrap back around a bit so they called somebody who mm -hmm. didn't think women should be priests uh, <laughs> so uh let's just say that put me on a wild goose chase we also had so in the end i had three rector transitions and a bishop transition well i was trying to get my stuff together to go to seminary Oof. so needless to say i didn't quite make it in the way I wanted to make yeah. it. But what happened was I moved to DC. Mm -hmm. I got an internship working at a small nonprofit. I learned a ton. Mm -hmm. And then I worked at a big nonprofit and I learned a ton. And then, um, but mostly I learned about like what it's like to be a 20 something in DC. Um, just how difficult and crazy that is and disorienting and. Um, and a 20 something who's religious. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that is, I actually got very, very lucky. And by lucky, I mean God put me exactly where God needed me to be, which was when we moved down here, we were living in a townhome in Dunloring. And by we, I mean just a bunch of college friends, because two of my college friends were going to George Mason, and two of them were going to George Washington. So I um, so we kind of landed there <laughs> one mile from... And I was just like really upset and kind of broken about all of that, my journey, and was like, I'm just gonna go to church, and I'm gonna sit in the pew, and I'm not gonna do anything, okay? Sometimes that's what you need to do. Sometimes it's totally what you need to do. Um, well, that didn't work, because <laughs> I ended up at Holy Cross Dunloring. It was one mile away, and I walked in, and the sermon was great, Everyone said hello, and it was a wonderful parish. Mm -hmm. And I was there for three years until I left for seminary. Um, yeah, but it was, it was really something. So what, so for your sort of spiritual life, how did that change when you be became ordained? If it did. Um, I mean, I think obviously the big change is celebrating the Eucharist for me was a really big deal. I grew up uh, in a, the St. Matthew's was also an Anglo-Catholic parish and um, I've always had a sacramental spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's part of my extroversion <laughs> actually is most most sacraments are done together 
and I love corporate worship. And so there was um, joy and beauty and being able to celebrate this thing that had been in my heart the entire time. Mm publicly to be able to just say like no this is like this is me gathering all of these prayers up and bringing them to God on behalf of this community and this feels very right and true um, in a way it was like stepping into something in me that had been there all along but I hadn't tapped into so I think that was the biggest part I think a lot about my ordination vows I just had my fourth anniversary Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I remember I, when you were ordained. Oh my gosh. I was I was like, it was literally, sorry Josh, Josh is my husband. It may have been the best day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and also Pippa, my baby. <laughs> so, but like it was up there, top three, definitely. Um, just so much joy and love and being able to celebrate with the people who had walked that very long journey with me in all different types of ways was just absolutely wonderful. Um, there's some parts of my ordination vows I keep more better than others. So one that I love is you promise to continue learning and studying he Holy Scripture. I'm like, bam, done. That's my favorite thing to do. Um, but then, um, or like keep the councils of the church. So I'm on diocesan council. Um, I could always be better at personal prayer. All of us can. All of us can. <laughs> but it's so lonely. Like, <laughs> I just sit there and I'm like, uh, where's everybody else? <laughs> and I know the purpose is like working on like me and God time, but it's very, um, it's, I could be better at that. <laughs> so what do you love about scripture? Um, for me, so I got a philosophy degree and I totally thought when I got to seminary, I'd be a theology nerd. It just makes sense, right? Like yeah. theology, I mean, is just philosophy with God in the mix, which like I love both of those things. But what happened was I came in and I signed up for Greek and it was like the scripture had gone from black and white into technicolor. Hmm. Like all of a sudden you look at words and they're not boring anymore. They were just like, they, they're like more meaning. Hmm. Like when you get into the Greek vocabulary and all of this possible things and you're looking at the sentence structure, it seems very weird to say sentence structure contributes to my spirituality, but there's just something about translating texts that opens something up in me that allows me to like hang out with God. Um, and it also just, I, I love it the most I think because it affects how I preach and I love preaching. Preaching is probably the biggest part of my personal spiritual life because you read commentaries, you study the scripture, mm -hmm. you pray about what you're going to say, you live into it, you tinker with it. And if you're really lucky, sometimes you just get a sermon out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, this is not my sermon. Thank you, Jesus, for this sermon. And then other times you sit there and you sweat blood over every single word and it's awful. Yep. Yep. Um, just awful. But there is also grace in that. And you just have to trust that the Holy Spirit will show up and tell the people the things that they needed to hear because clearly you're doing a bad job. <laughs> <laughs> I think I read somewhere in a, I think it was a Roman Catholic 
document on homiletics, it described preaching as breaking open the word, mm. kind of like at the Eucharist, you know, the, the host is broken. Uh, so. Yeah, I, uh, that is what I aspire to. I don't know if I ever actually get around to doing that, but I like to think about preaching as where I always go first is where my homiletics professor, Judith McDaniel, would always say, where the shoe pinches. Mm. Like, what is wrong with this text? Like, what is going to bug people about this text? And then I go straight for that because that's what they're all thinking anyway. Like, this is really uncomfortable or this is weird or this doesn't make any sense. But there's always something in there to teach us, if only we would just sit and wrestle with it long enough. So do you encounter a lot of pinched toes working with college students? <laughs> um, yeah, except for them, it's, it is pinched toes, but it's more, we're doing, as far as scripture goes, we actually had a couple students come to me and say, let's do a Bible study, but let's do a Me Too Bible study. Oh. Let's do a feminist Bible study. Um, and that's been really life-giving. We kind of started at the wrong time of year, like mm. ending the school year is not yeah. a great place to start something. But we piloted a couple sessions, and they were, were getting ready for next year. We're actually, I'm going to do it an interfaith one with the oh. new rabbinic fellow. Oh. And so we're going to be looking at Hebrew scriptures mm -hmm. and um, sexual violence and... I mean, other women's issues mm -hmm. in Hebrew scriptures. I'm really looking yeah. forward to that. I think there's a podcast out there. Was it Two Feminists Annotate oh, the Bible? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually emailed them when I was trying to figure out what does it mean to have a feminist Bible study? Mm -hmm. Like, what is it? So, like, and, like, my students actually know more about this than I do because many of them have taken gender studies classes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I graduated in 2007 from Gettysburg and, like, they were kind of there, but I didn't even really know what they were, and they weren't in the water the same kind of way. Yeah, I graduated in 2000, and it was like, okay, it's there, but we don't know what it is. Yeah, like now I really wish, when I was an undergrad, I'd spent some time in, in the women's studies area and learning more about mm -hmm. that, um, just because I'm fine, I'm like really, now that I'm digging into it, like the theory mm -hmm. and because I'm doing all this reading for this mm -hmm. Bible study and it is it's been really liberating and I use that word on purpose but mm -hmm. liberating to say like oh 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 it's not just me this has been going on for millennia okay yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so when we look at it we um, we kind of made up a not just like a process for looking at the text so the first thing we do is uh, look at where we are mm -hmm. in the so the one I use in, as an example is our first session was about the woman um, and the unjust judge mm -hmm. the widow who keeps knocking at the unjust judge mm -hmm. so the first thing we do is like talk about the criminal justice system mm -hmm. what is our relationship mm -hmm. to it and how does it affect our reading of this parable like as generally white women mm -hmm. like what is it, what kind of relationship do we have with the police you know like let's talk about that and then we ask I wonder questions yeah. Just like Godly, godly Plague. plague. <laughs> and ask things like, I wonder what happened to that woman that made her so desperate. Mm -hmm. Or I wonder how an unjust judge became a judge. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we move through interpretations and how to read it differently. And um, always end up with, what does this mean for me now? Mm -hmm. What does this teach us about God? 
um, what if we read this parable from the perspective of God being identified with the woman, mm-hmm. someone who relentlessly seeks justice yep. instead of an unjust person? That yeah. makes no sense, right? Yeah. God, the reading of that parable is much better when you identify the woman with, with like God in the parable. Hmm. Um, and then what does this mean for our life? Yeah. And what can we do to change things? So that's been really... Uh, really awesome. I highly, highly recommend that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was in college, that you know, one of the big questions for me was, well, what does this matter in my life? Yeah, the so, so what mm-hmm. is huge. I never have a sermon without a so what. So what do you like best about working with college students? Uh, I, li- I love being in a, with them in a point in their life when people are talking to me because they're interested in changing. Mm. And what I mean by that is like everything around them is changing, Mm. they are changing, they're becoming the person God is calling them to be, ideally. Um, And they're really open and willing to just try things Mm. and be adventurous. And it's just a very different demographic than working with a traditional Episcopal parish. And any major challenge so far? Um, hmm. My challenge is I wish, I mean, I'm working at Georgetown. I just wish my young women especially could see themselves the way that I see them. Mm-hmm. You know, when I see them, I see mm-hmm. their intelligence and their faithfulness and their um, passion and and just determination. And I just see all of these things in them and I just love them so much. Um, but it's really hard when you're that age and a woman especially to be able to see yourself clearly there's just so much other garbage that's been fed into our culture into our family systems into the way that we've been conditioned to see ourselves um that we've always got this and i say we because i like i know like i was there that was my life well you know just this this constant like you're not good enough, you're not this, you're not that, like that was stupid, why did you do that? Like that, that constant voice. Um, and beating back that voice is a big part of coming into your own mm-hmm. as a young woman. And so like they gotta do it themselves though. Mm-hmm. No, one can bur- no one can push that baby except for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so based on your experience from you know, rural Episcopal church, through college, through working nonprofit ministry as layperson, ordained, working with college students. If you had a message to give to the Episcopal Church, what might it be? Oh my gosh, no, this is really easy. Mission, we need to be doing things out in the world. We cannot be retreating to our buildings. Um, I do not have a building right now, and it is liberating, Mm -hmm. because I don't have overhead. I don't have to worry about hiring people to take care of the building. I don't have to worry about the roof. I don't have to worry about, I get to just 
Um, and I'm just using found space. I don't have an office. And it forces me to be out with the students. So I do my work in the library or at the coffee shop or in the, you know, just like big halls. Mm -hmm. um, but how do you do it without a red door? Oh my gosh, <laughs> no, exactly. It's called word of mouth, people. <laughs> and it's the only thing that really works. Um, yeah, the way my students find me is by my students telling other students, hey, you should go talk to Becky. Well, I wish we had more of that in the Episcopal <laughs> Church. And I could talk with you for hours. I think we have. Kevin. I think we have, yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for this. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. I am very happy to be here and excited for all of your new projects that are going on. All right. Well, have a great day. Thanks. You too. All right. Thank you for listening to Sacred Wandering Podcast. Join me in about two weeks as we explore more stories of people in their faith and spiritual lives. You can find this series on iTunes, SoundCloud, and wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, leave a review. Follow me on my blog, sacredwandering.wordpress.com, and on Facebook, and share with others. The music you hear is Searcher by Alex Johnston from the album Epiphany Songs from Church of the Apostles in Seattle. You can find it at apostleschurchseattle.bandcamp.com. I'm Kevin, your host, wishing you a good day and Godspeed. And remember, not all who wander are lost. But let me check Google Maps to make sure. I pray for fire like the dawn To burn away my coward thoughts Until I find